Thank you for tuning in to the Everyday Christian Podcast, a work of Scattered Abroad, which is overseen by the East Hill Church of Christ in Pulaski, Tennessee. You can find our website at scatteredabroad.org. In this podcast, we show that God deserves every praise from every creature every day. Here is your host, Chase Green. Hello and welcome to Season 4, Episode 7 of the Everyday Christian Podcast. I'm your host, Chase Green. And before we get started going over James Chapter 4 today, I would like to highlight one of our Scattered Abroad Network podcasts. You can find all of our podcasts at scatteredabroad.org. And today we want to highlight the Asking God Why podcast with Jameson Stewart. This is a podcast where we ask the question, why, by studying through various books of the Bible and going verse by verse in many cases and and determining the meaning of the verses and and by way of application asking various questions why about what goes on in our lives. And I certainly recommend this podcast. Jameson does a great job going through the text uh, verse by verse and uh, explaining the meaning and asking these questions. And I would highly encourage you to check that podcast out. It premieres every Friday at the Scattered Abroad Network. Well, today we're going to continue on the Everyday Christian Podcast, looking at the book of James, and we're going to look at James chapter 4 today. Now, we have been breaking each chapter uh, into uh, halves, but as the way the schedule worked out, we need to cover the entirety of James chapter 4 today. So this will be a little bit longer of an episode, but bear with me. Uh, We want to cover the entirety of the text. So we're continuing our study of the book of James, and James continues his streak of condemning various sins that we all need to deal with in life. He's going to cover things such as selfish striving, lack of contentment, idolatry, as Hosea would call it, spiritual adultery, and then also arrogance. And uh, also, we're going to talk about uh, speaking evil of one another in this chapter. And then we're also going to to discuss the brevity of life toward the end and the danger of boasting and neglecting to do good. So that's a lot we've got to cover on the podcast today, but that's just the way that the schedule worked out. Verses 1 through 3, James chapter 4, the source of selfish striving. Keeping in mind that James is talking to Christians in specifically in this epistle, I want to ask ourselves, what do Christians make up? Well, they make up the church, don't they? And how is the church made up across differing geographic locations? Well, it's made up of different congregations. So when we read this, I want to make sure that we think about the applications at the congregational level. Strife can cause a whole lot of damage in a congregation of the Lord's church. And we want to ask ourselves, what is the source of that strife? Verse number one, we want to look at this in the New American Standard Version. And it says, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is the source not your pleasures that wage war in your body's parts? Well, what's the problem? It's selfish, sinful pleasures. Think about how many problems, how much division was caused at the church at Corinth, for example, when the man was found in fornication with his father's wife, chapter 5. 
Think back to chapter 1. How many problems were occurring because selfish divisions were occurring over who had baptized them? Think back to chapters 12 through 14, where uh, the, the Corinthians were caught up in strife over spiritual gifts. Selfish, pleasure-seeking Christians do not seek what is best for the body, period. They seek what's best for themselves. And it causes all sorts of problems in the body. I think another form of selfishness that Proverbs mentions that is a source of strife is pride. Proverbs 13 verse 10 says, Only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Think about this. It is impossible to be on the same page, spiritually speaking, as a congregation of the Lord's church if we're all caught up in selfish-seeking of sinful pleasure. There's no I in team. We have to all be going the same direction, and that direction is the direction of heaven. James goes on in verse number 2, and he says, You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of David a little bit. Think about it. He lusted, but was Bathsheba his to rightfully have? No. But he took her. He lusted. He coveted after another man's wife, and then he murdered to try to cover that up. Also think back to Achan in Joshua chapter 7. What did Achan do? In his own words, Joshua chapter 7, Achan says this, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. And there they are, hidden in the earth, in the midst of my tent, with the silver under it. And Achan paid the price for that, didn't he? He was stoned with stones and burned with fire. And Israel paid the price for that. They suffered consequences for what Achan had done. And so, Christians, we need to understand that if we're seeking selfish, sinful pleasures instead of seeking the Lord and in, instead of seeking and serving one another then we're harming the body of Christ. Look at part 2 of verse 2, and then into verse 3. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. What's the point that James is making? The point is that they were selfishly asking for the wrong things. They were more concerned with materialism, covetousness, with selfish, sinful pleasures than they were about good things. So James is saying that if they asked for the right things, they would receive those good things that completed them in the Lord. But they were too carnally minded to see that. They were asking amiss that they may spend their prayers on their pleasures. Do we as Christians sometimes act that way? 
If we do, shame on us. Verses 4 and 5, we're going to find a concept that is found in the book of Hosea. Same concept here, spiritual adultery. Chapter 4, verse 4 says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. If you hearken back to that book of Hosea, what was the metaphor that was represented by Hosea and his wife Gomer, the harlot? Just as Gomer kept forsaking Hosea over and over again, and Hosea kept on loving her, accepting her back, but also acknowledging consequences, so God still loved Israel, even though they kept being unfaithful to him. They kept committing spiritual adultery with their idolatry and everything else that was going on. We have to make sure that we understand that Christians can become guilty of the exact same thing. We can be adulterers and adulteresses. And yes, uh, the literal adultery is is a sin, of course, that we must uh, refrain from, but also spiritual adultery. James uses some harsh language here. He calls them spiritual adulterers and spiritual adulteresses. And then he says, don't you know that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Do we live in the world? Absolutely. As long as we live, we can't escape the world. We will one day. But we live in the world right now. But Christians cannot be of the world. We cannot act like the world. We can't talk like the world. We can't watch the same movies the world watches. We can't go the same places the the world goes. We have to be different. We have to be peculiar and zealous of good works. If the world is our best friend, and I mean the worldly, sinful people, if the world is our best friend, James says that we're the worst enemy of God. Romans 8, verses 5 through 7 says, Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. That means God's enemy. And I know we don't want to be God's enemy. Verse number 5. James says, Or do you think that the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? James does not quote one specific verse here, but he does reference a general idea that is expressed throughout the Scriptures. That man's natural tendency, his natural attitude is to lust toward envy. It's something that we have to fight against. The New King James Version capitalizes the S in spirit here as if it were to say that this verse is saying something different, highlighting God's spirit in us being jealous since God is a jealous God. If that's what James is saying, then the idea is that God is a jealous God and he will not put up with spiritual adultery, covetousness, idolatry. And certainly we know that that's the case. 
God is a jealous God, and he will not put up with placing him second rate in our lives. Verses 6 through 10, we're going to simply notice arrogance. Verse number 6, James says, But he gives more grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And thanks be to God for that. John 1 verse 14 says that Jesus came full of grace and truth. Aren't you glad of that? Because we certainly needed it. God has enough grace for everybody if they will respond to His grace. You see, that's the problem. Many people do not respond to His grace. He doesn't just give grace to anybody. We have to respond to it. Yes, it is available for all, but just because God's grace is available for all does not mean that they all will receive it. Genesis 6, verse 8, who received God's grace? Well, Noah did. And his family did. Uh, Eight souls got on that ark, and they received God's grace. God would have given grace to anybody who came to him in repentance and faithfulness to him at that time. But the problem is they didn't. They didn't accept his grace. Key problem in their lives was pride. They weren't willing to humble themselves. And so James says here, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Verse number 7, James says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Oh, how we need to memorize this verse. If we're struggling with temptations, if we're struggling with these sinful pleasures and and sources of strife and division and, and terrible things, then we need to submit to God. We need to resist the devil, and he will flee from us. That's what Jesus did. He submitted to the Father's will. He humbled himself, and he came in the form of a servant, and he resisted the devil when he was tempted by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and all points like we are yet without sin. Matthew chapter 4, he was tempted. Three times he resisted the devil. You know what he said? He said, it is written. Quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. Well, if Jesus could resist the devil and he gave us that perfect example of how to do so, we also must and, and can resist the devil's temptations. Verses 8 and 9 is uh, James is really heating up here. Uh, I love these verses. It says, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. How's that for an invitation? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now let's stand and sing. (laughs) That'd be pretty effective, wouldn't it? Uh, A little harsh in wording, but it certainly gets the point across. And sometimes we need that wake-up call, don't we? We need that harsh wake-up call to get us going in the right direction again. So I I like this here in in James 4, verses 8 and 9. I like to call it James's invitation. kind of reminds me of uh, Joel, where he says, uh, Rend your heart and not your garments. Kind of similar wording there. Well, verse number 10 
James says this, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. And that's the key. We have to be teachable. Psalm 86 verse 11 says, Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Psalm 25 verse 4 says, Show me your way, O Lord. Teach me your paths. We have to be teachable. We have to be willing to humble ourselves. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. Verses 11 and 12, we're now going to notice that notice that speaking evil of brethren and the law is sinful. Verse 11, James says, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Once again, James reverts back to the dangers of the tongue. He's already covered this, of course, in great detail when we talked about James chapter 3. But now he returns to it again. And earlier here in chapter 4 as well, we were dealing with selfishness and pride. Selfishness and pride often cause one to commit the sins that are listed here. I like what Guy in Woods says about verse number 11 here in his commentary on the book of James. Listen carefully to this. If there is such a thing as evil speaking, there's also evil hearing, a necessary accompaniment of evil speaking. Indeed, were it not for those who listen to calumnies... Now, I had to look up this word calumnies. I had never read that before. Uh, But according to... uh, one of the dictionaries I looked at, it said, A calumny is the making of false and defamatory statements about someone in order to damage their reputation or slander. So I'm just going to use the word slander here. So let me start over in this sentence. Indeed, were it not for those who listen to calumnies or slander regarding others, there would be no one to speak such. Because we enjoy hearing bad things about each other, is the basic reason why slanderers enjoy telling bad things about others. We are disposed, as conversationalists, to relate matters which please our hearers. And because many listeners delight in slander, we are tempted to satisfy this desire and thus to tell that which we know pleases them. I think that's a very important point. I think most Christians know that we ought not be engaging in speaking gossip. Many Christians do, quite frankly, struggle with that. But I think, generally speaking, we know speaking gossip is wrong. But how many of us realize that listening to gossip is just as wrong? Matter of fact, the best way to cut off the rumor mill of gossip before it has a chance to get going is to refuse to listen to it. James says that we are not to speak evil against one another. Harkening back to principles that are found in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 20 verse 19 says, He who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets. Therefore do not associate with one who flatters with his lips. I think also of Proverbs 6 verses 16 through 19 where we find seven things that God hates. And the last one on that list is one who sows discord among brethren. We need to be very careful 
as everyday Christians to not engage in this sin. This sin in particular, we've been talking about selfish seeking and and pride and different things that are the source of uh, strife. This one in particular, it will split a congregation faster than you can say the word split. We've got to be very careful not to uh, entertain the thought of gossip. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. A couple of things that we need to note here. Does this mean that we are to make no judgments whatsoever? Well, no. Matthew 7 verse 1 says, Judge not that you be not judged. And that verse is oftentimes taken out of context to teach that idea. Oh, you should never judge me whatsoever. But if you keep reading in Matthew chapter 7, that context is very clearly making the point that we're not to make hypocritical judgments. Furthermore, we're not to make judgments based off of the appearance, not knowing all the facts, or judging a book uh, by its cover. No, we're not to do that. We are to make righteous judgments, John 7 verse 24. So this is not saying that we're not to make any judgments, not to call a spade a spade, not to call a sin a sin. It's saying that we don't need to make assumptions about a brother or sister in Christ and then spread those assumptions as gossip. Well, what does he mean here when he talks about judging the law? And again, I'm going to refer to Brother Guy in Woods here. I think he's right on this. He says that James is referring basically to the law of loving one's neighbor as himself. Basically, if you jump to conclusions to make judgments against your neighbor based on assumptions, and then you share that information, then you're breaking the law of loving one's neighbor as himself. Also, you're breaking the law of the golden rule, which is very similar. And you're also violating what Paul taught in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that love believes all things, or love believes the best in all things. That's the idea there. So we don't need to assume bad things. We need to have all the evidence before we spread information. And even then, we may not need to spread that information. We're not saying that sometimes the information does need to be uh, spread. I mean, sometimes it does. Look at Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. That's a good case-in-point example. But you have to follow that process. That text says that you're to go between you and the brother alone the one that has offended you, you go to them and talk to them about it. And if they won't listen to you, then you take two or three witnesses with you and you start properly spreading that information for church discipline's sake. And if they still won't listen to you, then you take it before the church. And if they still won't listen, if they still won't repent, then you let that person be uh, as a heathen and a publican. In other words, you have to practice church discipline. So we're not saying that you can never, ever, ever uh, spread information. That's not the definition of gossip. The definition of gossip is uh, spreading that information when it's not necessary and uh, bad-mouthing someone behind their back and, and not even going to that person, and maybe they don't even have an idea that you that you were offended by them, and you still go talk about, about them behind their back uh, and that sort of thing. And so we need to be very careful about that. Verse number 12 says this, There is one lawgiver, capital L, who is able to save and to destroy. 
Who are you to judge another? At the end of the day, who is the final judge? At the end of the day, on the day of judgment, God is the final judge. So we need to let him do that job. I think sometimes we like to take upon ourselves that role, and that is not only inappropriate, it's the height of arrogance. You see, we're not the discerner of men's hearts. We can see bad fruit. Yes, we can. Uh, We will know them by their fruit. Jesus taught us that. But still, we're no man's final judge. God is going to take care of that. God is going to be their final judge. So we need to try to abide by that. We need to maintain humility. Uh, People ask me a question about such and such, and try to say, basically, in in a spirit of humility, let me show you what the Bible says. So what do you think? As far as final judgment goes, God's going to take care of that. But while I'm here, and, and while you're asking me this question, look at this passage, or look at that passage. What does the Bible say? So let's just be careful about that. There's one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. God is that lawgiver. We need to let him do his job. Well, speaking of judgment, speaking of eternity, let's notice next, verses 13 through 15, that life is like a vapor. Verses 13 and 14 says, Come now you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, Spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. One of the most sobering passages in the Bible. Other similar verses about about the same subject. Job 7, verses 6 and 7. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. Oh, remember that my life is a breath. My eye will never again see good. Job 9, verses 25 through 26. Now my days are swifter than a a runner. They flee away. They see no good. They pass by like swift ships, like an eagle swooping on its prey. Job 14, verses 1 through 2. Man who is born of woman is of few days and full of trouble. He comes forth like a flower and fades away. He flees like a shadow and does not return and does not continue. Psalm 89, verse 47, Remember how short my time is. Psalm 102, verse 3, For my days are consumed like smoke, and my bones are burned like a hearth. 1 Peter 1, verse 24, All flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away. Life is short. The cemetery is full of headstones of various ages. It's true that you're going to find a lot of headstones of people who lived into their 70s and 80s and 90s and even 100s. But you know what you're also going to find if you go out to the cemetery? You're also going to find the lives of those who were tragically cut short because of diseases or car wrecks or accidents, or homicides. We just never know when our life's going to end. 
Life is certainly like a, a vapor, like smoke that appears for just a little while and then it vanishes away. Here today, gone tomorrow. I'm reminded of the foolish man who tore down his barns to build bigger barns and what God said to him. He said, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? Not only are our lives temporary, but so is the world. First John 2 verse 17 says, And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. 2 Peter 3 verses 10 through 12 says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens will pass away with great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hasting, hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. And that's a wake-up call, isn't it? We need to realize that that is the fate of the earth one day, and that will be the fate of those who do not obey his gospel. Second Thessalonians 1.8, Jesus will return in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who know not God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have to be ready. We have to help other people be ready as well by evangelizing them. Verse number 15, James says this, Instead you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. We need to always make sure that we are asking things in accordance with God's will. 1 John 5 verse 14 says, Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. We don't have time, we're, we're already past due, but uh, if we had time we could look at some other passages that deal with the idea of if the Lord wills. Acts 18 verse 21, Romans 1 verse 10 Romans 15, verse 32, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 19, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 7, Hebrews 6, verse 3. Look at those passages and realize that if the apostles acknowledged that their activities were dependent upon the Lord's will, should not we also acknowledge the same? Finally today, in verses 16 and 17, we want to notice that boasting and neglecting to do good is, a, is something else that James covers here that we've got to avoid as Christians. Verse number 16, But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. What do you think that they were arrogantly boasting about? Remember, we've already covered arrogance in this epistle of James. In this particular context, I think James is referring to this boasting about tomorrow acting like that they had plenty of time to get things right with God, spiritual procrastination, even when they may not have much time left. Proverbs 27 verse 1 is a good parallel here. It says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. We need to be careful because we too, like that man who tore down his barns so that he could build bigger barns, we too might be told, fool, this very night your soul will be required. Finally, verse 17, 
James says, Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Once again, James has already stated several times in this epistle that God expects and requires action. And to him who knows to do good, who knows to act, and neglects to do it, to him it is sin. Sometimes we refer to it as a sin of omission. Sins of commissions or uh, overt or deliberate acts that we do that we know we're not supposed to do, and sins of omission are things that we know we're supposed to do, but we fail to do them. Here James says that if we know to do good and do not do it, it's sin. What does that say about things like giving, like benevolence, like studying, like prayer, like evangelism? To him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Thank you for joining me on the Everyday Christian Podcast this week. I hope that you will continue to tune in every Monday as we drop more episodes of the Everyday Christian Podcast. Lord willing, next week we'll cover James chapter 5, part 1. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Scattered Abroad Network. If you would like to email us, you can do so at thescatteredabroadnetwork at gmail.com. That's thescatteredabroadnetwork at gmail.com. Remember, You can check the show notes below for all of our social media platform links. Also, don't forget that you can find us on all major podcast platforms, and please leave us a rating or review. We hope and pray that this has helped you grow closer to Christ, even though we are scattered abroad. May God bless you.